I'm just going to read from Romans, the 16th chapter. And then I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Verse 6 says, salute one another with a holy kiss. And that, of course, that speaks of a loving submission uh, to Christ in each vessel as each individual vessel is, is submitted to him. So salute one another with a holy kiss. <clears throat> the churches, and really it's, it's local assemblies, one, one church, many local assemblies of Christ salute you. Now I beseech you, brethren, to mark them which cause divisions and offenses, offenses contrary to the teaching, the doctrine which you have learned, and, and avoid them. For they are, are such that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember the word serve is synonymous with the word worship. They serve their own belly, and that's a, a, a metonym really in this sense for emotions. And by good words, <clears throat> notice that, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Simple here is just as any uh, any person saved or uh, you know saved that doesn't submit to Christ and have them have him as their very life, and and of course it speaks of the unsaved. So they don't have he he deceives the minds and emotions of those first that aren't saved, obviously, and then for for us if we don't submit in in a loving embrace, and that's. God wants us to submit to him in obedience because he has a loving embrace for us and that keeps us. And so when it says deceive here, we know in Revelations 12, 9, we know that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. Every human being that doesn't function first in salvation submitting to him, but then in our experience, when we don't, he can deceive, he deceives the mind and emotions of those that are simple. A simple person, in this sense, is, is a person who thinks that they have wisdom and they don't. And that's uh, at Proverbs 18, verse 2. Look what it says in verse 19. For your obedience, and you see that, that's each of us, that's each of us, your obedience. That means when we're, when we're obedient, we experience his loving embrace. And nothing can come between us in that area. So for your obedience has come, and it's known everywhere. And I'm glad on your behalf, but I would have you wise unto that which is good, and what? And harmless, really. If you see, like in certain translations, it'll say simple, but really harmless. Harmless concerning evil. Now we know the Bible says that, of course, the temptation for, for Eve as she was away from her head in that type, and like us, we, when we get away from our head, Christ, the enemy comes in in that area. And he deceives, and he deceives us like he deceived Eve because Eve in that type is a responder. And if there's not, if she's not initiating to proper headship like any of us, because us as the church, we are his bride. <clears throat> but in that area, he'll deceive us. And the way he deceives us is, each of us, is that we can know good and evil and determine it apart from God. So we'll look at some scriptures and we'll learn from those that were in the old covenant under the old 
Testament, those that were God's people, Israel, how quickly they forgot God and how quickly we can. Uh, but thank God he doesn't forget us and he never will. But he would have us to have, have you to be wise, which means wisdom, right? Unto that which is good, simple unto that which is evil, harmless. So, because when we don't submit to him, in James chapter 4 and verse 7, what will we do, any of us? We'll call what? In Isaiah 5.20, we'll call evil good and good evil. We'll put darkness for light and light for darkness. And when we put light for darkness and it's not Christ. We know, obviously, that in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, Satan functions as an angel of light. But does he really have light? And, 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 and of course, it says, then he has his ministers. And boy, that's a convicting thought for me uh, personally, because when I think about that, if I get deceived in an area and I, and, and the minute that I forget God, and why would we forget God, any of us? Because we're not humble and dependent in that area, right? And when we're not humble, it's not that we're not going to be deceived. We're already in the place of deception. And that's when the enemy can come in in Ephesians 4, verse 27. He just needs one little area for any of us to affect our whole experiential life in Christ. And so, Satan is an angel of light. And we're not to wonder, it says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15, that he has his ministers, right? So, of course, there are all those cults. You know, Satan has those that, that they don't talk about Christ. They, you know, you get into uh, the book, the epistle of 1 John, and you'll see and understand in those chapters there about how any that denies Christ in any way, it's a cult in terms of salvation or what God can do. That's a cult. Boy, is that word thrown around in such a wrong way because even those that throw around the word cult, what are they doing? They're calling, they're calling good what? Evil in that sense because even those that have that definition on their mouth, do they even realize and understand what that definition is? And we need to be, all of us, of course, need to be careful because just like the unsaved is, is for, for, in us, our flesh, is it any different than the unsaved and how they function? It's no difference whatsoever. And so if I function in the flesh apart from submission in the loving embrace of obedience and an exchange of love, what can happen? I'll be his minister. He can't possess us, remember, he can never do that, but he certainly can obsess us in Psalm 62, verse 10. And again, even when I don't trust in him, in Psalm 62, verse 8, if I don't trust in him at all times, and I don't, listen to this one, and I don't pour out my heart to him. That's why the Bible teaches us that it doesn't matter whenever we have a bad thought or a bad emotion, who should we go to first? We should go to him. And that's because in Psalm 62, verse 5, my soul wait you upon God. Because from him comes my what? My expectation. Okay, so I have to go to him first. 
And because if I don't go to him first, and he's not my expectation, then if I don't trust in him at all times and don't pour my heart out to him, not pour my heart out about how I feel about my circumstance, my situation, uh, other believers. I don't pour my heart out to other believers. What do I do first? Because if I do, if I pour my heart out to other believers and it's not trusting God, what am I pouring out? Is it fellowship? I mean, is it a loving embrace that I'm exchanging? And we always have that opportunity. A believer that functions in Christ in obedience with his loving embrace has that to give to someone else. And you can do that. And But we, if that person's in a backslidden state, then we need to know that we're sent to them. <laughs> right? We need to do that. Uh, and we need to know that for all of us. But Again, in, in Romans 16, verse 19, for your obedience has come. It's been manifested to all. And I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf. But I would have you to be what? Wise, wisdom, unto that which is good. And what? Harmless concerning evil. How, how are we harmless concerning, e concerning evil? When we're held in a loving embrace through obedience. That's what it is. He holds us in a loving embrace. That's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. The love, of, the love of Christ, what? It constrains us. It keeps us, it keeps evil from coming in between him and I and keeps me from leaving him and being exposed to evil and thereby deceived and begin to call, begin to put um, this false light, remember, in, in Matthew 6, verse 22, if your eye be single, what does it mean that your eye should be single? Everything is about Christ. And for me to experience him, must there be, must there be training and learning independence and obedience? Must there be that? Why does God, why are we at times, does it seem like when we come and when we hear the word, is it always convenient to us? It's not. It's not always. Like in anything else, any other occupation in life, if you're going to learn how to function properly in that thing that you desire, it could be a doctor, it could be a nurse, it could be anything, a fireman, you're going to have to have training because it's going to prepare you for what's going to happen. But that preparation keeps you safe at that point as we submit. But it also takes care. So when I have obedience, what does it take care of? It takes care of my past. I don't know myself after my past. And I don't, I don't submit, not in reaction, but, but in the embrace of God's love through obedience. I don't, when someone else treats me after my past, I don't respond to it because I am responding and receiving the truth about who I am in Christ. That takes care of my past, it takes care of my present, and it prepares me for the future. So sometimes it seems, sometimes, doesn't it seem like maybe in your past life, things seem to be and I don't mean the vulgar font, you know, but things seemed to be a little bit easier, didn't they? Didn't they? They did. Maybe they did. But then, then, like we all, like we all, we all have a, we all had a call, didn't we? 
We all had a call. God called us, right? And God called us to a particular place. And this is what he called us to, and this is what he's preparing us for. And we've talked about this so many, you know, so many different times. And thank God, again, in 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, we have a more sure word of prophecy, but do we understand prophecy? Do we know where we are in time with God's eternal plan and what's happening? Are we even aware of it? But first, we thank God we have, we have that light that dawns on us. That's our position in Christ. But how to function properly, experientially, in time, do I have to understand prophecy and know where I am? And what is God preparing me for? So God prepares us for things that are going to happen in time. That will things that will happen in our country. But he's also preparing us in the reality of who we are in Christ. And what he's teaching us is we are not products of the earth. We're not. We're products of eternity. We're products of heaven. And as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts towards us in Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. And his one thought is what? That's why it says in Philippians 4, 19, my God will supply all your what? Singular need. What is my one need? It's Christ. According to his limitless riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so what is he preparing us for? Two things. He's teaching us and preparing us, first and foremost, which he's done by his grace for a period of years, some longer, some shorter, about who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us. But he's also teaching us to know where we are in prophecy in time. Because prophecy has to do with what? The fulfillment of eternity in time. It's God's plan. And we know in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, his, his plan and his work are what? That perfect means they're complete. What does that mean? They're not going to change. Everything else outside of God in time is in flux and constant change. That's just like our thoughts can be. Right? But who is God's one thought to us? It's Christ. What is he preparing us for? Have you felt possibly in the days, even as we come to hear the word, I don't know, at times can it seem like it's Almost like a, gosh, it's almost like a boot camp for crying out loud. Gosh. Ah, you mean I gotta come again? I gotta be, I gotta learn obedience, I gotta learn humility. I mean, can you picture a soldier going to boot camp? And does he have the understanding of those that have already been in battle and are over him to teach him? Ah, uh, you mean I gotta start? I gotta clean my rifle again. Gosh, you mean I have to do exercises again? God, does this even make any sense? Seems like my God. Gosh, I'm in boot camp. Can you imagine the guy? It used to be so much easier before I came to boot camp in my life. What is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. This is Second Timothy chapter two. And you know, I know of men that quit boot camp. They quit. They, they left and went back. Because when you're in God's boot camp, okay, what is, it, what is it all about? What is boot camp all about? 
It's preparation. Preparation for what? Battle. Mm-hmm. He's preparing each of us. Seriously. Because if you know one thing, if you know one thing from Genesis chapter 4 and all the way through to the 19th chapter of Revelations, everything in time is about what? It's a battle. Read James the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 4. Those wars and those battles that go inside of us. The flesh constantly lusting against the spirit. Holy Spirit, spirit against the flesh. Those things are so contrary. It seems like there's this battle going on. Well, God's preparing us for that. For not only what's going to happen, and if you'd ever studied church history and you ever studied uh, what has happened in time, the thing that would be most dangerous for us is to forget God. And when we do, that means we're not obedient. We're left out to the atmosphere. And then the battle becomes me in the atmosphere, or me in my flesh, me battling my flesh. And here I am in Christ, and I'm battling this thing going on. And again, we talked about when that battle goes on, truthfully, is it really that we're wrestling against people, blood and flesh, in Ephesians 6, 12? No, it's not. That's where, again, the blame game would come in for any of us. We start to blame those because we're in a battle, okay, that what? Are we prepared for that? Have we been prepared? This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong, listen first, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I know that I'm a proper receiver, and I can make adjustments, and I can only make adjustments by grace when I have been humbled. That is James 4, 6. Humble, again, in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Then you're able to cast all your anxious fears and anxieties that come from the flesh on him and you'll realize he actually really does care for you and you won't battle. You won't get in a battle with your flesh. And if you do, you know it's some form of a lust pattern. And again, in 1 John 4, 1 through 4, is going to bring that out very clearly, especially even going to the fifth verse. But here it says, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Who does God give grace to? Those that that he has humbled. I could declare and memorize the Bible. And if I haven't submitted through humility and dependence to God, I can declare it. But do I have the grace that was received to experience it properly in growth? And I don't. Verse 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the things that you have heard of me, things that we're hearing, the things that we're hearing here, that you've heard of me among many witnesses, testimonies, many, many those of testimonies, the same commit you to who? What does it say there? Faithful man. What's a faithful man? One who's in Christ. And, and again, in Ephesians 1, verse 1, it says when it talks about the faithful in Christ, that's not talking about their obedience or disobedience. It's talking about the fact that they're in Christ. But how do I experience what I've been positioned in in Christ without a proper, true, obedient experience about the position? So commit you to who? Faithful men. 
If I'm in the flesh and I, and I function in the flesh, does God commit anything to me in my experience? It's mine in my position, but does he commit it to me? Can he? Can't because of Romans 8 verse 7, the flesh in me is, has strong, settled feelings of hatred for God and they're not going to change. That is in us, all of us, every one of us. In Romans 8 verse 9, we have the flesh in us, but we're not of it. But we can function in it. And when I function in areas of the flesh, what am I functioning in? In who I truly am with a proper image? No. The things which you've heard of me, things that you've heard of me, by, it says really, by many of those that have a proper testimony as a true witness, the same commit you to who? Faithful men. Who will be able to teach others also. How do we teach others? What we say or how we behave. What, what teaches children in a home? What the parents say or how they live their lives? Their conduct. How do we know that we're functioning properly in our position and, and we have a proper experience? How do we know that? What is it based upon? How we behave. Do I have peace? Am I fighting? If I'm fighting God in Acts 5, verse 39, and I may think I'm fighting somebody else, right? But remember what we said about the dot and the circle, okay? Because I may think that I'm fighting someone else, but the fact of the matter is, could God be using that one to bring out what I'm truly fighting him about? Right? Because if you fight at all, if we have any fight against each other, if we have a fight, I don't know, hasn't that been dealt with by Christ already in opposition? Has it not? Has he left anything undone? So again, verse 3, you, this is very personal in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3, you therefore what? Endure what? What does it say there? Hardness. I don't know. Let me tell you. I don't know. Is, is it always convenient and easy to learn obedience? Is it? No. But is it essential if it has to do with the essence of God? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I may, when I don't want to go forward, I look back again. Because what am I going to, what's the flesh tend to do? wants to stay or go back. Boy, it, was just, it just seemed like it was so much easier. What is God doing with us? He's redeeming the time. He's redeeming the time in Ephesians 5, verse 16. You therefore endure what? Hardness. Endure. There we have that word patient again. And there we have those two Greek words, macrothumia, and hupomone, of which those two Greek words we've gone into. Endure what? Hardness. Training it. Okay. What is he preparing us for? Is he going to teach me how to war properly with putting on the right armor against the flesh in me? You know, you think, and I may think the battle's with the other individual, but it's really not. It is not. Because when I'm not submitted to Christ, then, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are what? They are not flesh and blood. You may think that's your battle. You may think that's your struggle. I may think so. It's not. It isn't. Because in this boot camp, God's preparing us. Is it always convenient? I don't know. 
Is it always convenient to go to elementary school? Were there days you didn't feel like going? Because what was it doing? It was preparing you in elementary school for junior high. And what was junior high preparing you for? Senior high school. What was high school preparing you for? College. And what was college preparing you for? And what is God preparing us for? And we get into a battle and we're not prepared. Then we start calling what? We start calling good evil. I don't like it. I don't like it. Why? What don't we like about who we are in Christ? <laughs> Tell me what we don't like. So, when we see that, when we see this, and this is the place, and this is brought out in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 says this. Well, let me just read verse, I'll start at verse 1. Now, I, Paul, myself... Notice that? He's not excluding himself from anybody. He constantly, by faith obedience to Christ, has to deal with the flesh in him to continue to go forward. He's not above anybody. He's not below. He's equal. I, Paul, myself, beseech you by what? The meekness and gentleness of Christ. What is he saying? I, right now, he says, I'm functioning in my own individuality, with the meekness and gentleness of Christ, because I've submitted to him. It took him about 35 years before he did that. And the whole time, the whole time he thought he was doing God good, he was, he was what? Killing the body of Christ in John 16, verse 2. That's what he was doing until he met Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts the ninth chapter. And instantly, in those first few verses, received Christ as his Savior. And from that point on, he was learning how to be meek. Meek means what I am when I'm all alone with God. Okay, gentleness means when I, what I'm like when I get around others. Now, if, if I am functioning in peace and someone kicks against me, if I'm truly functioning in peace and his loving arms are around me through the exchange of an obedient love, tell me what will come out. Irritation? Nope, because you'll be protected in that vice of God's love in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. And by the way, when I'm meek and when I'm gentle, I never judge another Christian. I may have to, in the position that God's put me in, to correct, because this, this is all about correction. Isn't boot camp about correction? Didn't we come in with bad habits? Did we? All of us did. Did we come into Christ in opposition with bad habits? Did you ever? I used to hear this all the time. Ba old habits die hard. I used to hear that all the time. Old habits die hard. They die hard. Fact of the matter is, they don't die hard. They never change. They never change. The flesh never changes where all those habits are. Just don't. No wonder the word comes in and separates. Why? Wants us to be obedient. Why? Why are we even in boot camp? To first and foremost, to insulate us and protect us with his love and get those old habits out. Listen, God's not calling you and I every moment of every day to die to some particular thing. He's not. He's calling us to reckon we're already dead. Because if we don't understand that positionally, 
then our experience will be that I'm constantly contending and fighting against this thing. And you know, that's when we get into Romans, the seventh chapter. I know what I should do, I don't. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. And I get in this battle. Then I take that battle, and if I'm battling inwardly, (laughs) and I come against another person, and they kick against me, what's going to come out? What comes out? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Again, now I, Paul, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you. He's being, listen, he is, lovingly, but he's being very sarcastic here. Very sarcastic. And it was God the Holy Spirit who had him write it this way. I'm base among you. In other words, again, they were were saying to Paul after he had taught them, after he invested in them, then with what he gave them through the Lord, obviously, that was just as much his as theirs, but they took that to fight him with. I started doubting him, doubting his, the fact that he was a messenger of Christ, an apostle. They started doubting him. They began counseling him, <laughs> literally, is what they did. So he very sarcastically said to them, well, who in presence among you, but being but, you know, in presence, I'm base. You know? But absent, boy, am I bold to you. And what he was saying was, I send you these letters. And they seem, they, they seem very strong in touching areas where they were functioning in the flesh through his letters. But when he was in, in their presence, I mean, you know, we can come and in presence... Boy, in the flesh. Tell me, tell me, if I'm in the flesh, what place am I in? I am deceived. It's not that I'm going to be. I function in the flesh, I'm deceived. And then when I'm deceived in the flesh, what am I going to do? I'm going to deny anybody else. Especially those that God has given us as guides. You see that in Hebrews 13, 7? And you see it in Hebrews 13, 17. It says, submit yourself and obey those that God has given you as their guides. That's what it says. Not rule over you like the King James says, but they're your guides. Now, if you fight them, who are you fighting? You're fighting God. You're fighting God's love for you in an order that maybe you just don't understand just yet, but God does. Read 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter, and read those seven verses and then take that with 1 Samuel 15, 22, and 23. Okay? We are in boot camp. We're in school. And it's not always convenient. But when you don't want to go forward in obedience, I promise you, you want to go back to fun days. When it wasn't quite so hard. When it wasn't. See? Verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 10. But I beseech you, I beg of you, that I may not be bold when I'm present, with that confidence. That's what they, he would, they were saying to him. Oh, you think you're something. Not, honestly. Oh, you're so bold with your preaching. You know. Oh, you think you're better than us. You're always comparing. You, it seems like you're something and I'm nothing in this area. Is that what, God, is that what God's doing? Huh. 
Is that what his guides are doing? But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Think about that. Oh, that's just that leader. <laughs> now that I've been taught and I know enough, I know enough to know <laughs> that that leader now is walking in the flesh. Really? You So a babe can determine a young man and how he functions. And a young man or a young woman can determine how a spiritual dad or a spiritual mom functions, right? You can't skip those areas. You and I can't, okay? As if we walked according to the flesh. And maybe it was even in an area where maybe the person was even ignorant that it was touching an area that so affected you. Did you know that one area that God goes after, it can release a whole bunch of areas that were held in disobedience? You can do that with any of us. But it brings it out immediately. And it doesn't have to be verbal. Believe me, it doesn't. There's such a thing as non-verbal communication. And in the teaching here, again, here's what it says. This is Ephesians, this is, uh, excuse me, this is Isaiah, the third chapter. Isaiah 3, verse 8 says, For Jerusalem is ruined. That was his holy city. That was what he loved, and he loved the people there. Jerusalem is ruined, and that can be what we are like in the flesh, but is it really who we are? No. Is that, is it, does that have to do with God's love for us? No. Who are we in God's sight? We're his beloved. We are positioned in Ephesians 1, 6 and in him, in the beloved. And he has literally made us qualified to walk in the light of a proper character in Colossians 1, 12 because he's transliterated us from the kingdom of darkness and transliterated us into the position of the son of his love in 1, 13 of Colossians. But look what it says in the types because remember, I wanted to get to the types in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11. We're to learn things about who we are in Christ, but we're learning about the flesh, aren't we? What, that's what would inhibit us. That's the thing that inhibits the experiential love of Christ that's ours in our position. And so we learn for what Israel and the Jews went through. Here it is. For Jerusalem in Isaiah 3, 8 is ruined and Judah is fallen. Now, can I be ruined and fallen in my position in Christ? No, that's secure. It is over. That is secure based upon John 6, 37 and 39. That's based upon John 10, 28 and 29. We are in 1 John 5, 18, in the position that we're in Christ. We are untouchable. What does the enemy go after? Experience. If the experience is disobedience, is that the area he already has me captured by his will? That's the area. That is, again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we see the teaching. We see the, the teaching in 2 Timothy 2.24. We see the individual opposing themselves when they think they're opposing you or they think they're opposing God. They're opposing themselves. They don't even know it because they're deceived because the will's not submitted. 
And so now the teaching in 224 comes in so that they, they who have been captured by Satan's will can be free in 226 of 2 Timothy. So Isaiah 3 verse 8, for Jerusalem is ruined, Judah is, Judah is fallen because their tongue, their speech, their thought life, and their doings are against the Lord. Can I function for the Lord in the flesh? Can I? Me, me personally, can I? No. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, in Mark 9, 40, he that is not with me is what? Against me. And he that gathers not with a proper conversation scatters abroad. So my communication, my thought life, and my communication of it will gather people to Christ and we'll have fellowship or it'll scatter them, right? Because we talked about those random thoughts. The enemy is very random. God is very precise in the order of his thinking and his one thought is Christ. So again, look what it says. Because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. I mean, would we do that in the flesh? Here, we're, we're in the glory of his son. That's opposition. He is above everything, Christ. And in opposition, because of him, we're above everything. But yet, what can happen? To provoke the eyes of his glory. You mean you're taking your eyes off my son and everything he accomplished and did for you? Well, will he be against me? No, he'll be for me and implement. If first, it's not my own backsliding that will correct me. How long can we do without him? How long can we live in disobedience? In Jeremiah 2.19, the backsliding corrects us. And even that, he, that's the beginning of him implementing loving chastisement in Proverbs 3.11 and 12. And in Hebrews 12.4 right through 29. Did you know in boot camp that's what it's about? It's about discipline? Hmm? The drill sergeant? Or he has the, has the man blow the trumpet time to get up. You don't want to get up? Is it always convenient? Oh, I'm in boot camp, you know. It would just be so much better. <laughs> so much better if we could go back. It was just, it seemed to be so much easier. Easy is not always right. His yoke is easy. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28. His yoke is easy in 29 through 30. And his burden is light. But what kind of burden can I bear apart from him? And we can't. Verse 9 of, uh, of, of Isaiah 3. The show of their countenance. <laughs> okay, Their behavior, where they're at, is coming through in a nonverbal expression. The, the show of their countenance witnesses against them. So a Christian, a believer in Christ who's functioning in the flesh... Okay, and refuses discipline, and we're all under discipline. We're all children. That countenance comes out. Their countenance testifies against who? The fact that someone in their countenance may be against me, is it really that they're against me or God? No, it's right here. They're against themselves. It's, they're a witness that they're against themselves. I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to. That's why I said, listen, you know. We're in boot camp. All, all of us are. We're all in boot camp. All of us. Because we're being prepared for a great battle. And even right now, presently, there's a battle. Isn't there not? 
flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these things are contrary one to another, and you can't even do the things that you desire. You can't do them. If you're in the flesh, do you desire the things of Christ? No, you're just like an unsaved person in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man receives not the things of Christ, of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Meaning foolish knows what he can do, knows what he should do, apart being deceived, thereby living in denial. Fact of the matter is, it says, they, the show of their countenance testifies against them and they declare their sin. <laughs> another believer is living in sin. Does that give another believer the right to act as a judge? No. Not at all. Pray. Pray for them. Yes, pray for them. But if you act as a judge, what are you acting in? You're acting in the flesh. Simple as that. And by the way, who made, who made any of us a judge of another believer? <laughs> because maybe in that area, I thought they should have done something and they didn't. Because maybe that was something in the flesh that I required someone else to do that wasn't of God. And God used it to bring my flesh out. And maybe they were even wrong when they did it. But if I judged them... It was because God was bringing out the flesh in me. That was an area where his love was not constraining me and loving me. And that wasn't my experience. I don't know. Can I experience irritation and peace at the same time? Can I experience being loved and not loved at the same time? And even the thing you may hate about someone else could be the thing that's closest to you that you hate. <laughs> it's true. That's right. And we're not to judge Read Romans, the second chapter. Read Romans, the second chapter. And then get into the third chapter. We have no right to judge. Okay, we don't. All right? But God has placed me in a position where I, have, I teach the word, whether I feel like it or not. Okay? And whether anyone else that comes feels like receiving it or not, am I still supposed to do it? According to 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. There's no question about it. So the show of their countenance testifies against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. Think about what Sodom was. Read Genesis, the 18th and 19th chapters about Sodom. See how God dealt with it. See what they were doing. They were all living in the flesh and making it as comfortable as they wanted and doing whatever they wanted. We all know what a Sodomite is, don't we? That's right. The flesh. Listen, the flesh in, listen, the flesh in us is just as dangerous as it was when we weren't saved. It's dangerous, not just to us, but to others. And if I sin and I don't get right, then I'm going to look for someone else to join hands with me. There's no question about it. What will keep that from happening is Proverbs 13, verse 20. He that walks with wise men will be wise. But a companion of fools, living apart from Christ, will be what? Destroyed. And the thief in John 10, 10a comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. They declare their sin is Sodom. Is Sodom. They get to the place where they don't even hide it. What is it like even in our country right now? To know where we are in prophecy. What is our country like now? I mean, shoot police in my day? Never. I mean, what? 
They, they were, back in my day, they were closet, in the closet, homosexuals and lesbians. Now, is it? They don't hide it. It's right out there. And that can be us in the flesh in an area of this. Listen, I don't care. I want you to know. Listen, I don't care. Okay, fine. You're not opposing me. You're not opposing God. You're opposing yourself. It's the truth. I would be doing it. You would be doing it. They hide it not. Woe unto their what? Soul. For they have rewarded evil unto themselves. I don't want to obey God. What am I doing? What does the enemy have waiting right for me? Huh? Yeah, there's pleasures of sin in Hebrews 11. Look at, look at 23 to 28. There's pleasures of sin for a season. Pleasures. Well, I don't want to be in boot camp anymore. I, it just seems it's easier this way. It seems like we experience a little easier fellowship. I don't know, is there growth? Or do we want to go back to the way it used to be? 2 Timothy 2, as we begin to wrap this up this morning. 2 Timothy 2, again. Verse 3 of chapter 2. You therefore endure hardness as a good what? What does it say? Soldier. What, what is a soldier? What is a soldier? What's a good soldier? He's been prepared. He knows his weapons. He knows his armor. He does. Because in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, we need to have that armor on. And we need to have the shield. All those teachings about the person and work of Christ. We need to have that shield. So he won't set on fire those misery missile those fiery missiles of hell in areas of the flesh and consume us to get us lusting. And you know, that's what lust is. It just consumes us. And lust and disobedience consumes any godly desire. The taste changes in a heartbeat. The taste changes. Things we used to, that used to taste good and were so incredible, now I'm in the flesh. I don't, want, I don't want obedience. I want to leave the boot camp. What happens? Well, the taste changes. You see that all through the Bible. But taste and see that he's good in Psalm 34, verse 8. But only the humble will hear. Only the humble submit, receive, and come under the reality of it. And then they're glad. They're glad. Verse 4. No man that wars entangles himself with affairs of this life. Did you hear that one? I didn't say it. No man. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. What comes first? God, the word, training, or the affairs of this life? What interferes with the training? What's God preparing us for? Time? Everything about time or eternity? No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Look at that he may please him. That he may please him who has chosen him to be what? A soldier. I don't want to be a soldier. What happens when I don't, as a soldier, I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to live in obedience and training and all this. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of hearing the captain telling me what to do. I don't want to hear it anymore. So what happens? How many have left boot camp? How many leave when they're in the midst of a war? 
They, that's what it's called AWOL. AWOL is A-W-O-L, away without leave. And why would we get AWOL? Because it's an area where we just don't want to be obedient because we happen to know more. <laughs> we happen to know more. Look what it says, though. He's chosen him to be a soldier. Were we chosen by God? Did he choose us? Did God choose us in John 15, verse 16? Yep. He chose us. He positioned us in Christ, didn't he? Are we still in the world? We're in it, but are we of it? Jesus in John 17, verse 14, he was in the world, but was he of it? We're in the world in, with Christ in us and us in Christ, but neither are we of it. It's not the affairs of this life. That's what we think life is. The enemy wants to say that's the right that you have, the affairs of this life. And if anything interferes with that, now you've got a problem. I don't know. Could God in his love be interfering with us? Yeah? Again, truthfully, who are we fighting against? You know, the, the, the orders that God... So I, I go away, I'm without leave. When, it, when I leave in the flesh and we go AWOL in the flesh, what are we open to instantly? All those evil, lustful patterns in us. And it's not just one area. Because if I live in one area of disobedience, it sets all those right ready to happen. It does. And we, because why? What's the easiest thing for us to do? Forget God. Forget him. Forget him in a heartbeat. You know, We're hearing things because maybe we came from a, a, a certain location or a certain place, whatever it is, and I'm speaking in principles, not exact places. And if it, if it does have a fit, then put the shoe on. <laughs> maybe it was a little easier in a certain place. Maybe it seemed like things were more fun. But God's put us, he's brought us into a school of learning. You know what the school is called? It's called the school of affliction. Because in Psalm 119, 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I became AWOL. I don't want to graduate. I want to quit the course. I want to quit boot camp. I want to quit because, and now I want to go back. I want to quit. He doesn't quit on us positionally. He doesn't. But do we quit on him experientially? Fact of the matter is, and I'm going to give you a big word today. I've been studying this one for a series of years. Every single thing that God gives us in the fulfilled will of Christ, in his finished work, it's to be peremptory. What? Peremptory. This is that word. It's P-E-R-E-M-P-T-O-R-Y. Peremptory. His love, God's love, is peremptory. Everything about God is essential. And if it's everything about God in his nature, character, and essence, his very essence, does that make it essential to me to function in Christ? And can that happen apart from obedience and submission of a will? Nope. This is peremptory, and his love is. This is what the word means, leaving no opportunity for denial or refusal. It's imperative. 
It's that that pre listen to this. It's that that precludes or does not admit of debate. I hear the word. When I don't want to obey it, I make it about the person. <laughs> it's imperative. And it precludes, his love precludes and does not admit of debate or question. I'm suspicious. Is there any suspicion in love? None whatsoever. It leaves it out. Because when it's left out, when it doesn't become imperative to me, this obedience and submitting to his love, what is that, where does that leave me? In a forgetful place. I, the, the millisecond I forget God, who do you suppose is right there to capture me right away? It's the enemy. Completely. We forget him. We forget him. And boy, oh boy, is that dangerous. You know, again, God is a very jealous God in his love for us. He was so jealous for us that he gave us his son and through Christ, through him, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he has ownership over every single one of us as an individual. Does. And he does that. He does in our position. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change the fact that he owns us in our position. But what can change it in our experience? Well, it's an area of the flesh. The flesh profits nothing. But I know who we are. And God wants us to know and continually learn in who we are because he's preparing us. Again, warfare. Ephesians 6. Here's the warfare verses. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. James chapter 4, 1 through 5. James chapter 3, 14, right to the end. You look at those scriptures. You correlate them and you'll see. You'll see. And you will also see in Exodus 14, 14, and 1 Samuel 17, 47, and in Deuteronomy 1, 29, and 30, the battle is the Lord's. When the battle is not his. So in my obedience, he's battling. Battle's won. But when I don't, I'm in a battle. Now I'm in a struggle. And the enemy's got me there through a lack of obedience. So that I struggle. Now it's, and then when I'm in a struggle of the flesh, what is, when I don't want to be responsible and accountable to God, what will I do? I will instantly blame everything and everybody else because I just don't want to be accountable and responsible. I just don't. But thank God He loves us, huh? He is after us with a jealous love. And that jealous love is like a fire. And what does fire do? It consumes anything that's not of, not of him and us, and him, us and him. And it just purifies the gold, silver, and the precious stones. And we'll see that at the Bema seat. That's what he's going to show us. Not to accuse us, but show us everything and how it was consumed. In 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, he's such a, he's such a jealous love. So, Father, thank you. We thank you for the word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.